Hey, open up your Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 4. This is where we're going to be this morning as we read the book together and ask God to change everything for us. So I'm going to read in my Bible, the unanointed, uninspired portion of my Bible says the new man. Okay, that's, that's just what the, the people who like put it together said, what should we call this portion? You know, the new man. Where God does something in us and now it's seen through us. It's new. And if you're a Christian here, you would concur and say, yeah, as a matter of fact, since I became a Christian, since I really gave my life to Jesus, there is some new things about me. I'm actually new from the inside out. It's not just on the outside in, which is religion, but this is actually real transformation. I'm actually new. And when you start to become new, there's no greater high than the most high. There's no greater thing to encounter than when the Lord begins to change your character. Remember, just a couple months ago, I was over here talking with a friend of mine, and this particular friend of mine was talking about the transformation that was going on within. And issues that they'd been struggling with their whole life couldn't get away from identity issues, and all of a sudden, they were confessing, I think, I think I'm being changed. I think so. I, I'm feeling different than I've ever felt before, and I've tried to walk in different ways, but now it's... And there's no greater joy for, for a pastor or for a parent or for a friend than to see somebody change from the inside out. That Holy Spirit begin to take root. And then as the roots go down, the fruits come out, and it's the real deal. And you can't take it from anybody. No one can take it from you. You can get mocked or minimalized or marginalized at your place of business or in your relationships. <laughs> but when you got the Lord, you have it all. And if you don't have the Lord, you don't have anything at all. That's what Paul's going to say, the new man. Let's read now, verse 17. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you, that's me and you and Christians, should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. He's describing non-Christians. He called them Gentiles, but in reality, it would be anybody who is outside of Christ, pagan, Gentile, or even Jew, anybody who is outside of faith. He says that they're blind, that they're alienated, they're darkened. Verse 19, he goes on to describe, and some of you are sitting here going, that's me in high school, no way. I, I, I dated that person, you know? Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. We're going to go through those three verses in depth, and man, it is detailed in its carnality. But the color, the picture that it paints is our society. Everything in there is just what our society is doing. Verse 20, the contrast, but you have not so learned Christ. You always want to make sure and understand the bad news before you try and receive the good news. And so we make sure they understand, you know what it was like before Christ. And maybe they had forgotten. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, but you forgot how gnarly you were, how out to lunch you were. And so he helps us to understand that when Christ came in, everything changed. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off, here's the finishing, <clears throat> that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray as we begin to now look at the word 
and have it transform our hearts and minds. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would indeed inspire us this morning to look to you and to seek you and to run to you and to want you. Lord, you're so good and so kind. It's been said before that you're a gentleman, that you woo people, that you impress people, that you long for people, that you provide for people. And so in that, Lord, we would agree that you have pursued us even this day thus far, that you have brought us to this point here in August or July 31st, the last Sunday of the year, and here we are, and we just pray thanksgiving. And ask God that you would illuminate our hearts and minds now to understand what your perfect will is for our lives. I thank you, Lord, for the unity and the diversity that is in the body of Christ. That in the spirit, Lord, in the body, we're totally unified. There's no denominations. There's no male or female. There's no in or out. We're good. And then I thank you for the diversity, Lord, that there are denominations. I thank you. Lord, that there are differences of spirits and gifts. I thank you. I thank you that there are men and women. Oh, I thank you. Lord, the unity that we have in Christ, the diversity that we have in Christ, we just look to you and say, wow. And I pray now you'd bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it goes without saying, but I need to say it, and I'll say it maybe 25, 45 times today, that when you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know who you are, you automatically know what to do. Contrastingly, if you don't know who you are, you're just kind of figuring it out and taking your cues and your calls from all over. You don't know who you are. You will do the wrong thing every time. But if you know your position, we'll call it identity. If you know your identity, then you will know what is your activity. You'll know exactly what your job is to do because you know who you are. This is so basic yet so huge because if your identity is unfounded or unsure, maybe you don't know who you are, you don't know you're a child of Christ today, maybe you think you're a free agent still, your contract is up, and you're kind of oh, just weighing my options. You know, I might be here. You know, maybe that's what you think. Or maybe you think you bought into this thing as kind of a halfway merger. The Lord provided heaven, and then you're earning your way there. And as long as you keep your end of the bargain, you'll make it, and he'll keep his end for sure. But there's not a lot of confidence in your identity. But if you know that your identity is that you were bought with a price, that you were paid for in full, that you are not your own anymore, but you are to glorify God in your bodies, which are his. If you know that, <laughs> that's easy peasy. It's not hard to figure out what to do. Identity always dictates and determines activity. For example, if I'm in my car driving northerly and somebody's driving southerly and they go 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, you know what I do? Nothing. Keep going. Because I'm not a cop. I'm not a cop. My identity doesn't dictate my activity. I just say, wow, glad they didn't hit me, you know? And then also when I speed up a little bit, oh, it's like fun, you know? And I, just kidding. That's where the illustration gets weird. But if that same person driving southerly is going 20 over the speed limit, and Brian Tucker, Oregon State Police Officer, goes to the 11 a.m., the 6 p.m. sometimes, sometimes the 9, you hear? If, if he's going northerly, and he sees this guy going southerly, his identity in his OSP undercover vehicle, have you seen that thing? It's undercover. No, you haven't seen it. Anyways, <laughs> so scary. Should be illegal. Anyways, come on. Come on. Pray for your pastor. His identity, his identity, when he sees that, he knows exactly what to do. His activity is completely different than mine. He knows, oh, that's my job. I'm going to turn around now and pursue this. And he, it's, it's easy to understand. But his identity 
tells him what to do. And if you don't understand your identity, I'm in, I'm in Christ. I'm a Christian, man. I'm on mission. I'm forgiven. I'm paid for in full. I'm equipped. This Life's fun. If you don't know all that, you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be lost. You're going to be tattered and battered. You're going to be depressed. You're going to find yourself in a hole. You're going to find yourself not able to, to tap in. As a matter of fact, I was just reading Modest Yahoo's Facebook post this morning. How many of you guys are friends with Modest Yahoo on Facebook? How many of you guys had Yogurt Hut in Ashland with Modest Yahoo one time? My hand is still up. Yeah. Anyways, different story. And Modest Yahoo, for whatever reason, on Facebook posted about his concert in Honolulu last night. And he was just bummed. He said, I just couldn't. He apologized. Really humble. It was cool. He apologized to his fan base because he said, I, um, I couldn't find my vibe. He said, to quote, I couldn't get in my zone. I, I couldn't feel the music. I couldn't channel the art and all these things he was trying to do. And so he says, I'm sorry for a lackluster performance last night, guys. Please forgive me. And I just thought to myself, his identity is in a musician. It, it's in art. It's in vibes and zones. And I, I feel all that. I get all that. And I can rock out with the best of them. But if his identity doesn't continue to go to being, I'm a child of God. That's my true identity. I am a, I'm, I'm saved. I, I am going to heaven. That, that, that can't be changed or taken from me or morphed or manipulated instead if i'm founded on that i know exactly what i'm doing even if it's not fun even if the vibe is hard to find and i just felt from modest yahoo's heart i was like oh dude you got to get saved and then you'll know what to do and how to do it your identity always will lead to a proper activity and here's the deal the scripture i just read to you is called the new man there's a new identity within each and every one of you and when that new identity is given to you, you start to act differently. I remember when I was 13 years old, I'd stayed the night at Chet Ben's house here in Newport, and I got a phone call from my mom. Like, that was landlines. I know you guys can look it up later. It's like Google landlines and just images. And, and anyway, so, so, so my mom called his mom or whatever and got a hold of me and said, hey, Luke, you got to wake up. Uh, Mark Watkins, who owns Subway, wants to talk to you. He actually wants to hire you to work at his, his sandwich shop. And I thought, I don't want to work anywhere. <laughs> I'm 13, summertime. And he saw something in me, Mark did. And he said, I want this kid to work for me. And so at age 13, he hired me and changed everything about me. It's a new identity. And he began to teach me then to work. And I actually thank God for Mark Watkins and the way he taught me how to be a steward over my own life and over responsibilities, even at age 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, as I would work for him for the next four years of my life. And when God calls you, he says, right on, you're on the team now. And what our next response then, chapters four, five, and six of Ephesians is, okay, what, what are we doing? Going to heaven when I die? Woohoo! See you then. And we, some Christians peace out. You know, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, so get out of hell free card. It's all I need. Fire insurance, call whatever you want. And so Paul now says, no, 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 no. Now that you're on the team, now that you've got an identity, you actually have a new activity. It's very important. And until you understand your activity, your identity is going to be even in question. So when you become a Christian, your identity changes. That's who you are. It's your, it's your, your title. It's your, uh, your outfit, your uniform, if you would. You got on your J jersey now, and you represent somebody besides yourself. And the way it's illustrated in this epistle over and over again is it's called a walk. It's your walk with Christ. You ever heard that? Yeah, I walk with Jesus, you know, or maybe parents use that term a lot of times. Man, my kids are living, you know, over there, and they're not walking with Jesus right now. And they're not walking with him because a walk insinuates and illustrates a lot of things. As a matter of fact, I like to go on walks with people that I love. It's, it's fun to go on walks alone, but I like to go on walks with people I love. I want to walk. 
I want to go on a walk. I want to go on a walk. I got a wife and three kids. I want to go on a walk. Let's go to the Bayfront and walk. Where are you walking to? Nowhere. I just want to walk. It's fun to do it together. We go to walks on the beach. And a walk is something you do with somebody you love. And when you go on a walk, not only is it with somebody you love, but you go on a walk and you learn a lot of stuff. You just see stuff. In this picture of come walk with Jesus. And Jesus would say, it's because I love you. Like, I just love you. Unless you think that Jesus is looking to save people and men and women and say, my God, I need some, some warriors out there to go out and do stuff for me, you know, and, or, okay, and, and, and there is that, but really he wants to walk with you. As a matter of fact, last week, maybe you were here, if you weren't, download the sermon or stream it or get it somewhere, talking about the gifts, that God's given to us gifts, and the new, we're new people now, he's given us gifts, whoa, 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 why? So we'd go out there and work for him and get stuff done? Kind of. But did you know that those gifts come attached to or vice versa, the vehicle of the Holy Spirit, God in you? And he's like, I'm not just going to give you a gift and go away. I'm actually going to be the gift in you. And God would say to you, I'm going to gift you. Some are going to be prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Some are going to have wisdom and some are going to have tongues and some are going to have interpretations. Some are going to have helps and some are going to have mercy. Some are going to have encouragement and some are going to have... God doesn't just give you a gift and then walk away. God says, I am the gift, and he gets in you and walks with you. And the, Can you just go there with me? The real point of God saving you and gifting you and then making you a new person is primarily and purely to just be with you. He doesn't just want you to go work for him and do stuff. That's so weird. But instead, he actually loves you. It would be like getting married, whether you're male or female, to a husband or to a wife. He says, I can't wait to marry this person. Oh, it's going to be so awesome. Finally, someone to do my laundry. Man, has it been tough. You know? I mean, I haven't had clean socks in five years, you know, and I just got to get, my, get myself a weave, you know, and have her clean some stuff. Nobody gets married for that. You don't. You get married, why? Because you love them. You love them. And then you get clean socks out of the deal. You know, it just, it just kind of comes, comes with the territory. <sighs> know that. God wants to walk with you. Oh, because he loves you. Because he loves you. But when you're on a walk, you also pick up things along the way. You, you learn stuff. You absorb and you grow. And God would say, come walk with me. Because I'm going to share and teach with you stuff. And I just want you to grow as you learn. And not just with somebody that you love. Not just somebody that you're learning with. But God would say, walk with me. Your new characters. One of love and learning. But also one of growing and equipping. You know that walking is actually good for your body. Like you can actually, you can accomplish some things. You can burn calories and build muscles. If you actually go for like a legit walk. Like two or three, four or five miles. I don't care if you're in shape. If you don't normally walk. You walk three or four or five miles in a row. You're going to be sore the next day. Like, oh, you know, these muscles are here. And, and God would say, walk with me. I want to I build you up, man. You can accomplish a whole lot through walking. Did you know it takes about seven, little over seven hours to walk a marathon at, at just a normal pace? Like, just kind of, just don't stop, just kind of steady pace. And, and God says, I want to do stuff. and I want to accomplish some ground with you, and I want you to grow. And so he says, walk with me. And here's the deal. Chapters four, five, and six are practical in nature. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are doctrinal in nature. 1, 2, and 3 talked about who God is, what God's done, and how God works. <laughs> and then he segues, now that we get it, he says, now who you are, how you work, and what you do. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, doctrinal and practical. And he uses that word walk. And the first thing we studied is he says, if you're a Christian here, and you can just take your, take your pulse. He goes, he goes, okay. You're a Christian? I can't tell. You look like you're Christian. You guys look like great Christians. I don't know, though. But if you're a Christian here, he says the first thing that's going to be indicative in your new walk, 
you know, doing stuff, is unity. And you're going to be unified. You're not going to have these petty divisions and schisms and isms. You're not going to, you really won't look at the other church across town and think less of them because they're actually part of you. They're connected. You're going to grow in maturity and you're going to pursue, the Bible said it in Ephesians 4, you're going to endeavor to keep the peace of the Spirit. And I just think God's doing that here. Last Sunday after the second service, we cruised out. We went to the city hall. Remember that? And we joined with all the other evangelical churches in town and all the law enforcement agencies. The newspaper was there. It was a big deal. There was like two or 300 people, in my opinion. And we we're all there, didn't praying, unifying. I think you guys need to get on the wave of unity in the body of Christ here in Lincoln County. It's happening right now. It is starting to really pick up. The pastors are committed to it. We don't know how to do it all the way, but we're going to give it our best. We're going to walk in it and expect the Lord to build those muscles around us and make it legit. You don't even need to raise your hand, but have you ever seen church splits or church fractions and factions and stuff and fighting? And man, it all comes from individual members of the body walking not in maturity, but anyways, we talked about that. There's tons of sermons online. Go check it out, southbeachchurch.org. Anyways, now, if you're a Christian, big old pulse check under your beard under there. He says in this next portion, which is going to go all the way to chapter 5 in the middle, that if you're a Christian, it's actually going to be noticed not just in unity, that's legit, but it's actually going to be noticed in purity. There's going to be something different about you. That slowly but surely, you're going to become more and more like Jesus. Now, I personally believe that there is no Christian that I've ever met that is sinless, okay? Have you met that person yet? Because they don't go to church here. <laughs> okay, I've never met the, the... But while I've not met a sinless Christian, I have met Christians that sin less and 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 less. And it is beautiful to see. And as you walk, it's just a simple walk. Jesus loves me. I'm learning stuff. I'm growing. When I walk with Jesus, man, those things are called into question occasionally. And the Lord says, hey, Luke, hey, on this walk of ours, do you still want to bring that attitude? Do you want to bring that activity? And God slowly but gently says, that's kind of slowing you down. And you're walking funny. And you might be walking with the Lord. And all of a sudden, you've got this blister because you're wearing the wrong shoes spiritually. And the Lord says, hey, if you put these shoes on and change your lifestyle a bit, Okay? Not to get saved, but because you're saved, you're going to walk closer to me. And if you have been walking with Jesus, he is so kind and so thorough to call you on whatever attitude or action it is that is maybe grieving him or inhibiting you. Maybe it's a style of music that's just not edifying you. It's taking you down. Can I get an amen? Maybe it's a certain activity or a hobby or even something that's not even sinful. It's just a weight that easily ensnares you. Maybe it's not even a sin at all on any regards, but God says you, I, you worship that. Maybe it's an activity or, or even a relationship that's not sinful, but God says, you know what? It's been put in higher importance than me. And God's so cool. I, I hate... Anyways, I'm not going to talk. Mike Gonzalez and Liz, they're some of our best workers, so I'm not even going to uh, tell him he's doing a bad job, because he's doing a great job. <laughs> he's right up there. Listen, though, God will lead us. And so just so you know the breakdown of the rest of these chapters, he says, I want you to walk in unity. We're working on that. Now we're going to study walking in purity, and I hope you just grasp this. This is so important. Uh, as we get into the further chapters, he's going to have us walk in harmony, 
walk in the light, walk in wisdom, to walk in victory, and to walk in love. All of that will be covered over the next many weeks in Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6. And it's all, listen, in light of how blessed we are in him. Therefore, now that we've been justified by faith, now that we've been made alive because of all of that, now we can truly move into this new walk with him. My activity change was always only ever after my identity change. And I remember how the Lord is so gentle in my own life. And I love counseling with people that are having real, real tough problems. If, if Jesus is what you're after, you're going to be just fine. I'm not even messing with you. If you're after behavior modification, which is religion, just to change the way you do things only, maybe even like modest Yahoo last night in Honolulu, just, I just want to just control my thing, but I don't want to control the inside. Behavior modification, if that's all you're after, it's not impressive to the Lord. As a matter of fact, the most behavior modified people in the world were the ones that killed Jesus. They had cleaned up their outside so easily. Man, they, had, they, they didn't smoke, they didn't chew, and they didn't go with girls that do. <laughs> they were it, figured it out, you know, and they killed Jesus. It's not behavior modification. As a matter of fact, um, Larry Osborne down in California, one of his churches, and he writes Sticky Church and Sticky Teams, and he talks about the qualifications of a life group leader. And he says a life group leader doesn't necessarily have to know it all or even be the most experienced Christian in the group. The know-it-alls and the most experienced Christians in the group can often ruin the group because they know it all and they're the most experienced. He says what we really look for is somebody that has a warm relationship with Jesus Christ. It's real. It's warm. They truly want him. They love him. They're not perfect, but they are willing to commit to the walk, to the process. And what happens is you get the Christians that know it all and are super experienced and their relationship with Jesus sometimes isn't warm at all. They've been there, done that, read the book and maybe even wrote it. And they're dangerous because they don't love Jesus. They're not walking with him. They're maybe even walking for him or they've walked ahead of him or who knows what the case is. And if you have a warm relationship with Jesus, he'll be faithful to point out those areas in your life and say, this is maybe just a little weird. I remember one time I was actually on the way to a Wednesday night Bible study in Ashland. I was 20 years old, so 18 years ago, so forgive me. And I was on my way to church, and I stopped at a buddy's house who I had done and dealt drugs with, and I started to get loaded with him before church. And as I was there getting loaded before church, he was looking at me kind of funny. And I didn't, I didn't see anything wrong with the picture. And he says, do you always get loaded before church? And the way he asked it, Made me think, that is really weird. You're, I, wow, it, it, oh, I should not do this anymore. I kid you not, I remember it vividly. I'm not going to do this anymore. What a hip, wow, I am so far off, Lord. And the Lord began to then take my messed up relationship with him and purify me and change my activity. And my activity changed. And I don't know about you, but I just love Jesus enough to let him change your activity as well. Okay? If you're a Christian here today, you better be aware of this. He's changing your activities from the inside out. He doesn't want you to be a divider anymore, divisive and, and pride, proudful or prideful and proud and, and, and all this stuff and immature and, and backbiting and gossip. He doesn't like that. That's not good for you or the body. And he also doesn't want you to walk in impurities and foolishness and craziness and coarse jesting and the list goes on and on. He's going to call you on it as you're warm with him, walking with him. He's so kind. And I've got three kiddos and I am faithful to disciple them at their level in their life every time that they find themselves growing in something. I don't give them everything all at once. 
so too Jesus is with you, and he's saying, hey, a little bit at a time, come with me, and I will change you as we move. So a few questions before we even move on. Number one is Christ changed your identity, not your activity. Okay, that's what the religious people would ask first. Are you a Christian? Let me see it. Let me see your life. That's not the question. The question would be, are you a citizen of heaven? Are your sins forgiven? Like, are, are you seated with him? Chapters 1, 2, and 3, are you... Are you so set free in who you are that now your identity is in him? Second question would be, has Christ changed your activity? Is there a new direction in your life, a new heart? Is there warmth there? I'm not saying, are you perfect? Only 11 a.m. people are perfect. <laughs> I, I'm not asking you if you're perfect, but you know, does God have access to your activity? Or are you good? I'm good. I'm, I'm better than them and I'm better than they. Okay, I'm good enough. And the Lord would say, that's not the scale. I'm not comparing you. It's not a, a curve that we're grading on here. It's a walk. And as you walk with the Lord because he loves you, you also walk with the Lord and you learn. And the Lord would stop at any given time and say, hey, let's stop at this vista. I just want you to see this. And if you're faithful to the Lord and he's faithful to you and you're walking in warmth with him, he'll show you, this is what I want you to do. Not your wife or not your kids, not even your friends. I want you to do this particular discipline or devotion, right? I want you to set down this activity, put down this music or put down this relationship or put down this, this liberty you have. And there's lots of liberties in Christ. But he might say to you, you know what? Ah, oh, I want this walk to be so fresh. Let's just sanctify this. And God will lead you. So the question was, is there a new direction or new activity in your life, because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do, and it'll guard you and ground you. I'm so thankful for the maturity that God gives us in our identity, the foundation. I remember when we first got married, my wife sitting there in the back, and we've been married for 15 years, and, and, I, and my identity changed when I got married. I was no longer Luke Frechette single. I was Luke Frechette married. And in, in August, about um, uh, 15 years ago this month, I was in uh, Ashland, and we had this argument, this discussion that led into an argument. I remember I walked out the door, because I just needed some fresh air, and I sat down on the stoop. That's about as far as I could go. I, I knew if I were to go any further, like get in the car and drive off, or just kind of, you know, whatever, it would be immature and irresponsible, because my new identity was, I'm married. I'm out here just catching my, my breath and, and figuring out, but I sat, a heavy moment, I was like, whoa, I'm not my own anymore. I am committed to that gal in there. I am the most blessed person in the world. I have to work through this and humble myself and change my activity because my identity, when I said I do, changed. And so too when you said I do to that altar call. I do to getting saved. I do to identifying with Jesus in water baptism. When you said I do, your identity changed. And now you might get frustrated and you might get weird and you might get as far as the stoop and you're like, wait a minute, I can't go anywhere. I'm a Christian. I can't do this. I, I got to get, I got to figure this out. And it's so fun to see the Lord change you. Maybe look for it this week in the way you talk about other people. Maybe they just start talking. You're like, you know what? I've been talking about other people my whole life. And I just don't even care. But I feel like it's wrong now. I feel like I should cover them. I feel like I should just shut my trap. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like I just be quiet. 
maybe whatever it is, maybe the Lord will say, just don't do that. Or maybe you're a habitual speeder or habitual texter while you drive or, you know, habitual lawbreaker. You're like, you know what? <laughs> I don't want to die. <laughs> and I, I want to obey the Lord. And God will. I remember one time my brother-in-law, Elijah and I, my, my wife's brother, we had just recently both been saved and, and he, he more so me. And we were super excited about the Lord, but we were both renegades before Jesus. And we were going out in the back of the church to get in the church van to go pick up some supplies. And there was this compost pile with a bunch of pumpkins. And not a big deal, but I remember we both looked at each other and we said, let's smash all these pumpkins. And so we grabbed these pumpkins and we put them up above our head. I remember our eyes locked and it just kind of dawned on us like, whoa, dude, you look like a crazy person, you know? And, and he looked at me like, you look like a crazy person. It was just so cool. Like, should we smash these pumpkins? Like, it just seems so natural to smash pumpkins for, for, you know, young hooligan men. And we're like, I don't think we, and it's just so cool. We put, put the pumpkins down. We're like, that was weird. You know, we got in the, got in the car and drove off. We were close, though, you know? And your identity, that sweet walk with the Lord, it is a blessing that God gives you to guide your life. And maybe you're at that party. Maybe you're at that place. And maybe you're there and you're like, you know what? I just, I don't know, man. I don't want to leave, but I feel like I shouldn't be here. Or maybe even it's deeper than a party. Maybe it's a legit relationship that you've been dating somebody and you know that it's not founded in your identity in Christ, or maybe it hasn't done what you wanted it to do, and you need to surrender that to the Lord even today and say, Lord, I have a new activity. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. It'll change everything for you. It'll lead you on your walk with Jesus to greater love with him, greater learning, and a greater strength. I just love God's patience, too, how it's not all at the same time. I mean, God is so kind just to once in a while bring those things, especially in a teaching like today where we're studying the text, and he, on purpose, really helps us to see what's going on. And you might say at this point, look, my identity's changed, and I'm going to go to heaven. Like, I'm, I'm in it to win it. I check my spiritual pulse, and I'm saved. I get it. Why do I need to worry about my activity if I'm already going to heaven? I've met those Christians before. You know, they grew up in the church. I know, I've been saved. I got a flannel graph in my closet, you know, and they know everything about VBS. And like, why should I live right? Two reasons I'm going to give you today, and I'm going to do my best to unpack it and to get through. Here's the two reasons. You should write these down or at least memorize them. They're very simple. But these two reasons why you should grow in the Lord, why you should walk with him, why you should surrender those sinful habits that you've been just holding on to or those weighty habits that aren't sinful, they're just stupid. Why should you do it? Number one is so that way you can see God. Number two, I'm going to unpack these, is so others can see God. Did you know that without purity, you actually won't be able to see God? Without purity, without a pursuit of purity, others won't be able to see God. And lest you think that's too elementary, seeing God is everything. There is no life without seeing God. There is no life it is absolutely futile. It is a wandering experiment in futility and destruction when you don't see God. You can be Modest Yahoo at a concert in Honolulu, and if you're not seeing God, you are in that hole as he described it. Impurity is a direct connection to your ability to see God and for others' ability to see God in you. Those two things. Why is it important? And so when you're challenged this week to not backbite or gossip or not whine and moan or to not look at that person with lustful eyes or to not double-click on your computer with the mouse when you're tempted, why? I don't want to do that. Why? What for? Well, because I feel bad when I do. Okay, listen. That reason 
is not worth it. I don't want to sin and blow it because it makes me feel bad. Did you know that that's moralistic therapeutic deism? Where I do good because it feels good and feeling good is my God. I don't want to do bad because then I hurt my God, which is feeling good. It's tricky and sneaky. Pay attention, especially if you're a legit Christian, super spiritual. I don't want to do bad because then I'll feel bad. Or I want to do good because then I'll feel good and feeling good is my God. Moralistic therapeutic deism. The goal, the purpose of your purity has to be better than that. That's a byproduct. When you do good, guess what? You do feel good. Woo! You know what I'm saying? Woo! When you do bad, guess what? You do feel bad. Okay? That's not the goal, though. That's a byproduct. The prime product is in order that you would see God. As a matter of fact, Matthew 5.8. Why don't you put it up there for me, Jeremy, if you got it? Matthew 5.8. Jesus, his own words. I'm going to fix my microphone. It's going to drive me nuts. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, he goes on in that sermon. But here he says, those who are pure in heart, walking in purity, <laughs> they're actually going to see God. You're actually going to see God in your life and through your journey on your walk. You ever had a car with a dirty windshield? How's that going? You know, maybe you've been in the Midwest in August and you're driving on one of those, you know, roads and the bugs splat everywhere, you know, and the bugs are like as big as Buicks. And it's all over the place. And you show up to the gas station. And the guy's like, you want me to wash your window? You're like, no, nah, I dig it. <laughs> keeps it. Keeps it interesting. <laughs> no, you're washing that thing and you're driving. You can't see because it's clouded with the guck and the stuff. So too, the Lord says to you, man, if you want to see God, you've got to keep the windows clean. You're not going to be able to see outside of your window of your soul, your eyeballs. You're not going to be able to see the Lord when that stuff clouds you and gets in the way. He wants to bless you. Did you realize that about God? Maybe you're new to this Christianity thing. I need you to really get this. God is in heaven, and he is only, always, ever, always, only, ever, always kind. Okay? And he says, oh, here, do this. Sometimes we're like, I want to do that. Because we're idiots. Yet he's in heaven saying, oh, oh, whoa, okay, you're an idiot. Okay, well, I'll just give you grace. That's fine. I'll give you grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. But I'm for real. If you do this, it's going to be so tight. You're going to love it. The Bible says in Psalm 16, in God's presence is fullness of joy. I don't know about you, but fullness of joy is like, whoa, turn it down. I'm going to fall apart. It's too much. In God's presence is fullness of joy. And he says, yeah, follow me, seek me, look for me. Don't get all gunked up by the things of the world or you'll not be able to see me as clear and you won't have as much joy. And to be honest, if you don't know already, my whole purpose is that you would be so full of joy. And the rest of the world wants you to think that it will give you joy in doing what it wants. And God says, no, I, I, I want to bless you. And the people who see God are the ones who are blessed. And the reason he wants us to see God again the reason he invites us to, blessed are those who see God, is because this is what you're craving right now. Just so you're all craving something, okay? Some of you skip breakfast, big mistake. Some of you are craving some activity or some event coming up. You're craving something. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to do that or whatever it is. You know, bow season's coming up or fishing or there's stuff, you know. Oh, I'm Listen, did you know that in that activity you can walk with the Lord and actually see him? And that's really what you're craving? You're actually craving the Lord. 
He made you for his presence. And the devil, the deceiver, the liar, the world, sin, and Satan are in the world prowling around trying to sneak and take all of us off track doing lesser things. And he begins really at birth in the futility of our mind. As a matter of fact, look at verse 17. I want you to just kind of study this out with me. Get these two main points under our belt. I'm going to do a lot of talking. I've already done too much. Here we go. It says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk, there's that word, as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Now, there's a lot of adjectives in there that are not positive. You know what I'm saying? Blindness of heart, darkness, alienated, futility of their minds. Did you know that that's describing every non-Christian? And if you got saved five minutes ago, this described you six minutes ago, okay? This described anybody and everybody who's outside of a true identity change. Your activity will follow, but your identity, who you are, you're either in or you're out. There are saints and ain'ts. That's the only two categories that God sees, now, he says here, he uses this funny term, the futility of their mind, and everything under it is kind of a slam, if you would, this, these adjectives. Here's why. Because those who are outside of Christ, their minds are still futile. They're not working properly. They haven't been regenerated or restored. And the futility of their minds is as if they're still walking, maybe like Modest Yahoo in Honolulu or doing other things. They're still walking, but they're not walking anywhere good. You need to understand this, especially some of you who are maybe on the fence or critical of this kind of teaching. You're saying, that's kind of mean, you know? You know? I wouldn't want to address my secular, non-believing friends as futile in their thinking, you know? And I would agree, maybe, you know, wade into that one slowly. <laughs> Let me just clarify, though. This doesn't mean if you're futile in your mind, it doesn't mean you're dumb, okay? It just means you're wrong. You know the difference? There are some smart, wrong people out there, okay? I'm dead serious. There are some brilliant wrong people out there, smarter than all ever even attempt to be, yet they're futile in their minds. It starts in your mind, what you think of God. As a matter of fact, put Romans chapter 1, verse 21 up there, Jeremy, and let's see if we can understand this from Paul's point of view. He says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, next verse says, professing to be wise, like professors, they became fools. And it says that this happened because they knew God, but they didn't honor God. Did you know the whole world looks around and has to make a decision where this all came from? They have to make a decision. Wow, there's a lot of stars out there. Anybody ever count them? Oh, too many to count? Wow. Must have come from nowhere. Oh, that makes sense. Said no one ever. Futile. They're all of a sudden, boom, boom. The, the contrast is, is when you look at the world, read the book, and you look at the church and say, yeah, I don't have all the answers. I don't know it all, but I do know there's a God. Okay? Theology 101, just so you know, theology 101, there is a God and you're not him. Okay? That's the foundation. Right there, your mind stops being futile. When you say there is no God and I am him, immediately you begin to walk in futility. Again, let me clarify. This doesn't mean that they're not smart or, or there's not wisdom in the world. It's just wrong. It leads to nowhere. It actually, this word futile, it, it means vanity or empty-headedness. It's, it's maybe walking forward, but to no avail. I used to have this turtle named David. <laughs> He's a cool turtle. David Hezekiah Freshette was his full name. And when he would fall over on his back, 
He was so funny. You know what he would keep doing? Walking. Just a total weirdo. Like, rawr, rawr, you know, like, come in the house. We'd be gone for eight hours. He's there walking. You know, nowhere. Upside down. What we, he needed us to do was to flip him back over and right him side up. So, too, when the Lord comes into your thinking and you conclude in your nowhere, and you say, there is a God, boom, all of a sudden you are turned upside right and you're able to now walk and you're different in your thinking and your activity now changes because your identity changes. It starts in your mind. Do you know that? What you think is very important. It's been said before that the heart of every issue is an issue of the heart, and it's true. Here's the problem with the heart. It's deceitfully wicked. Nobody can know it. You, can't, you actually don't have access to your own heart. You do have access to your own mind, though. And God will not change your mind, but he will change your heart. And if you change your mind, God will change your heart. You cannot change your heart, and God will not change your mind. But when he speaks to you and gives you the word or gives you a free will to make that mind conclusion, and all of a sudden you change your mind and say, yeah, okay, 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 God. I, 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 and by the way, none of this is possible without humility. Okay, this is not an intellectual, intellectual ascent. This is where you say, whoa, and you bow down in your mind. And the Lord then has access to your heart, which you don't. And he accesses your heart and he rebirths it and you find yourself on his team, new identity. And then, only then, can your activity follow in a non-futile way. So important is it that this happens to you because without it, you won't be able to see God any other way. Why would God want us to walk in purity? Number one, so that we can see God. Number two, uh, well, let me, before I get there, because the only way that we would find ourselves walking in full joy is to be with the Lord, to see him as he is. And as he changes your heart, you now have access to him. Remember Psalm 51, David's psalm? He had a low moment in his life, committed adultery, lied about it, murdered about it, lied about it some more, minimized about it. The whole thing went weird for about two years until his kid died. Things weren't going well for him. And he finally prayed and said, Lord, create in me a new heart. I need a new heart, Lord. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And he changed his mind, but he couldn't change his heart. But he could change his mind and say, Lord, I was wrong the whole time. I was futile in my actions and my thinking. I was out to lunch, and God then changed his heart, and then he was able to see the Lord again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God you really can't see the Lord until you're willing for him to call you on your stuff. Remember King David when he did that sin? He, he was hiding it real well, just kind of living with it. So can, you, can you imagine living with all kinds of guilt and shame that had not been brought to the Lord and dealt with? Just so much guilt and weirdness and just trying to walk with the Lord. And everyone's looking at you going, you all right, David? He's like, I'm good. You know, some of his psalms, he says, I'm so busted up, I can't even stand my things, everything's so jacked up. My whole body, my bones hurt. All the psalms that he wrote about that sin. Until he said, Lord, okay. And he got busted. Nathan, his good buddy, busted him. And he said, it was me. Can you cleanse me now? Can you do something? Because I can't see the Lord because of my impurity. My wife and I, we live out on 70th Street in Agate Beach, and we live on the east side of 101, so not too close to the ocean, but close enough where after about a month or two or three with the wind and the salt air and the dust and the seagulls, you know, all that, eventually our windows become dirty. 
on the outside. And so we live on the inside. I don't know about you, but we live on the inside of our house. And, 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 and as I look out, I'm like, I can't see. I just, I know the ocean's there. It's somewhere in the backyard, and we used to have kids, but I can't see them outside, you know? And you just got to change your mind about your stuff and ask the Lord to change your heart and cleanse those windows so you can see the Lord again. And I would just ask simply, how's the Lord right now to you in your walk? Is your walk more like being in the military, showing up? If I don't, I'm going to get in trouble. Or is your walk kind of like those early morning jaunts with somebody, somebody that you love? Oh, let's go for a walk with Jesus. Let's do this. Oh, it's going to be so fun. It's going to be so legit and so rich. And do you even see the Lord right now or have things clouded your way? And so important is it that you get that dealt with so you can see the Lord. But secondly, God has asked us to walk in purity, not just so you can see the Lord, but so others can see the Lord in you. Look at verse 18. It says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Holy smokes. Did you see those people in verse 18? Life does not look like fun for them. I'm just going to read those adjectives again. Darkened, alienated, ignorant, blind. This is the people that God has asked us to not walk like, but to walk with. We're now walking with non-believers, pagans, and Gentiles, and Jews, and anybody who's not one who puts their faith in Jesus. And why should we walk in purity? So I can see the Lord, which is the actual thing I'm craving right now. It's not another fix or another this or another activity within myself, but it's, it's him that I want. That's why. But also because others are blind, and they desperately need you to walk in purity so they can see God in you and through you. Okay? People around you are ignorant and blind of the things of God until you come into their life. You realize that? I said this a couple weeks ago, and when I said it, it sounded really weird. I'll say it again. If people don't believe that Jesus is real, Michael Paul's got a shirt on that says Jesus is real. I've got a shirt on underneath that says Jesus is real. There's shirts over here that say Jesus is real. If people don't believe that Jesus is real, it's, it's not because he's not real, because he is. Okay, he's, he's up in heaven. He is real. But, but for some reason, they don't believe it. Whose fault is it that they don't believe it? Is it Jesus' fault? Or is it ours? I'm not putting shame and blame on you. But, but in this walk, God says, hey, you be the light. You be the salt. You be my hands. You be my feet. You be my voice. You be my message. You be my rainbow. You be my lighthouse. Okay, I'm going to send, I'm going to put you in the world. We're like, yeah, what are we going to do? He's like, well, I'm going to send people to you that don't know me. And they're going to smell something on you. 2 Corinthians 2.14. It's going to be the aroma of Christ diffused in every place as you live. Okay, they might smell something else, but that's not his problem. Okay, there's a store for that. He says, I want you to do it. And we would sometimes object and say, yeah, right. You show them. You do something. <laughs> he said, it's my joy to include you. It is my joy to allow you to be a part of my team. It is my joy. I've got three kids, like I said, and they love to help their dad out. They love to help their mom out. Whatever we're doing, we're baking something in the kitchen or lawn work or doing. They want to help, and God knows that. He says, would you help me do this? Would you help me save the world? It's not that I need you, but I, just, I love you, and I want to be in you. I want to give you gifts to do this, and I'm going to give you a new activity and a new identity. You're going to walk in purity, and it's going to make you see me more, and you're gonna, your life's going to be insane. 
You're going to be so full of joy in my presence. Wow, overflowing. And not only is it for you because I love you so much, but it's because I love the Gentiles and the pagans and the non-believers. These adjectives that are given are not slams or disses or, or balances of scale or of worth. God says, I died for them too. I love, I love them. You were they. And now I want you to live. And just like in your own life, if the purity scale is way low and you can't see beyond your own windshield, you're in danger. But so too, if you can't see God coming in, what if you're intended in your life to live like a lighthouse? And your light is to shine through that window. Not God just getting in, yes, that. But what if God says, I want you to be a lighthouse? And what if that lighthouse that we have there at Agate Beach, what if the windows became frosted and tainted and darkened and alienated from God's presence and eventually that lighthouse stopped serving its purpose and all of the ships coming to shore not knowing where or to or fro they come from would find themselves in great danger? So too the Lord says, you know what? You know why I want you to walk in purity? Because <laughs> I love you and it's actually what you're looking for. I'm like, I'm really that good. I'm really that good. I don't want you to poison yourself anymore. I want you to instead feed yourself and be so blessed. I, I love you. Oh, I love you. But I also love everyone else around you. And so I want your life to be reflective. And I want you to be on point and to be on purpose because they are alienated, because they don't know me, because they are walking in craziness. As a matter of fact, look at verse 19. It describes the status of our culture just a little bit more in detail. He says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Isn't it crazy how crazy our culture is? Our, our culture, you ever ask yourself every once in a while, how do we get so weird like as a culture? I'm only 38 years old, so I've seen just a little bit of you know, cultural trends where that which was taboo, not spoken of, unheard of, is now not only not taboo, it is spoken of, it is heard of, it's actually sanctioned and government funded. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, what happened? How did, how did we get so crazy? Do you know this word lewdness or lasciviousness in some of your scriptures doesn't just describe sin. Okay, sin is real. We all have it. It happens. There's a different kind of sin that is described here. It's the kind of sin that when you sin, you actually don't feel bad for it, but instead you actually want to parade it and promote it. That's what lewdness and lasciviousness means. It's not, when I sin, it's like, ah. Oh, Darn it, you know, and I deal with it. There is another level of depravity, though, that says I'm actually going to do this on purpose, in public, on display, and make sure all see it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a product of having a futile mind, of being upside down and continuing your walk and not knowing where you're going. And that's our world. Look at this contrast. I want you to kind of capture this before we find ourselves moving on. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. That's an interesting way of putting it. What if you said it this way? But you have not so learned about Christ. What if you said you have not so learned from Christ? I, would, I wouldn't even, I'd just read it and agree. He said it this way on purpose. He said, you have not so learned Christ. You're different though. You're different, not because of your set of rules, which would maybe be learned about Christ, but the thing that makes you different as a Christian in this pursuit of purity, this pursuit of unity, this walk now, is that you're doing it with Christ. You have him. And can I just encourage you? The Bible actually says this. You can put it up there, Rome, uh, Hebrews 12, 14, Jeremy. By the way, we have three Fs in uh, our Sunday school training. Uh, one is flow, one is format, and one is flavor. 
and the most important one to me, format and flow or our curriculum and how the classes go. And the last F is flavor. And we want our kids to leave Sunday school with a flavor of Jesus and a flavor that is palatable, a flavor that is, I don't know why I like church, but I do. I just, I like it. It tastes good. And I can't explain it. And format and flow will get the kids what they need, but the flavor. And so when I hear that stuff, okay, and I see people coming to church here, and I see you enjoying. You know what, you know what the flavor comes from, though, really? Because you have learned Christ. Let me just set you free, Christian. Purity is so important, okay? It's important for you because if you don't have it, you won't see God. If you don't see God, you're not going to be happy. <laughs> Deal with it. Purity is so important because if you don't have purity, people won't see God in you. They're just going to think you're just a normal Joe. There's nothing special about you. You're just going downstream, dead fish like all the rest. <sighs> but if you have a new identity, you're alive. You, you know, you were born dead, right? Spiritually. Futile. Your mind is broken. Alienated from God. In darkness. But you have not so learned Christ. When you learned Christ, something new, you got turned around. And you didn't get turned around just to go off and impress others or be religious or know it all. You got turned around to walk with Christ. To know him. If you're a Christian here today, your greatest joy your greatest strength, your greatest power is walking and talking and fellowshipping with Jesus. That's it. It's not about church attendance. It's not about reading books. It's not about mission trips. Unless in all of those things, you're with Jesus. It's not a list of rules to keep. That's not impressive. The guys that had a list of rules to keep killed the Savior. The guys and gals that could not keep a list of rules were drawn to the Savior, to, to him. The common people received him well. They loved Jesus, and Jesus loved them. They walked with him. If I were to read to you right now the Declaration of Independence, you would be like, wow, inspired. That was good. That was good stuff. Now, in 10 minutes, if I were to read it again, you'd be like, Oh, all right, okay, and you would lean in and maybe even glean something different. And if I then repeated the Declaration of Independence to you every 10 minutes for the next five hours, okay, you would eventually say, enough, I've heard it, shut up, please. Because although it's inspiring and although it's leading and although it's educational and all the rest, it's not engaging, it's flat, it's two-dimensional. So to this book, if you don't know Jesus, this book will become two-dimensional. And I'll read it, and you'll study it five, ten, maybe 25 times later. And while you would never tell God to shut up, you will shut it up. But if, listen, I'm going to set you free right now, Christian. If when you read your book, if when you walk in purity, if when you drive your car, if when you date your spouse, if when you repent of your sin... If when you are doing life, you're doing it with Jesus, I dare you today to read the Bible, not chapter at a time, book at a time, word at a time, verse at a time, and to pray. Read a verse and pray. Say, Lord, that's so cool. What does this mean? And just talk to him. You're on a walk. He loves you. You're going to learn stuff and see stuff. You're going to grow. And when you go to church, when you read your books, when you pray, when you're doing your stuff, if you're not doing it with Christ... It's not going to take you where you want to go. It's going to be like the independence, declaration of independence over and over and over. It's going to ultimately just bore you, and you're going to shut it up. And so right now, if you're a Christian here, and your book is shut up, 
I'm gonna have the worship team come on up and join us. If your book is shut and you aren't walking in a vitality and just kind of a staleness, listen, I'm not even messing with you. Jesus loves you so much. He says, come back to me. Walk with me. Be in communion with me. Fellowship with me. Your sins and your trials and your stuff, yeah, we'll get there. But let the Lord restore and recreate in you a clean heart. God won't change your mind, but he can change your heart. And if you change your mind, God will change your heart. I'm going to have you guys bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name now, we're just learning to be Christians. We're learning to be saved. You said if we're now saved, therefore, then don't walk like the pagans walk. Don't walk in the futility of our minds, but instead let our minds be renewed. And don't walk in the craziness. And I, 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 It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. And yet in Jesus' name, I pray your anointing upon us, Lord, as we trust you in this. There's somebody here today that maybe is dealing with, with gross sin, real sin. Sin that is contrary to the Bible. Contrary to what you have said is okay and right and good and healthy and going to lead them. And I would just pray for that individual, for that, that group of people that are here today, that you would convince them that what they're craving, what they really want, is you. Blessed are the pure, for they shall see God. It's you. Don't let the devil lie to them anymore in Jesus' name. Let them believe in their mind that you are God, and you are right, and you are love. And let them surrender. They can't change their heart, though. Maybe they're bent that way. Maybe they want to do this. They don't know how they're going to break up in that relationship. They don't know how they're going to repent. Lord, give them the confidence to surrender their mind to you, that you might then create in them a new heart. And I pray in Jesus' name for new hearts all throughout the sanctuary. And if you're here today and you maybe aren't walking in purity, that's up to you and God. It's not my call. But you know, and in your mind right now, you would just agree with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, Spirit, and you would say in your mind, I agree, I, I need help, I need a new heart. Would you just raise your hand right now? I don't care who you are, how long you've been a Christian. If you need a new heart today, if you need God to give you new power, new vision over a relationship or an activity or a thought process or a direction, something that's just wrong, your walk is all wonky, you're upside down, and you would take your mind and you would change it and just raise your hand just right now and I wait for you. Don't miss out. The Lord wants to bless you. The Lord wants to lead you, to heal you. And Jesus, you're the only one that can do this. You're the only one that can take a, a guy like Paul or a guy like myself or a church like this and change us from the inside out. So in Jesus' name, my hand is raised too, Lord. You know I'm all messed up. And I ask, Lord, that you would give me a pure heart, that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation. Take not, Lord, your presence from us. We trust you in all things, Lord. And may the world see that we're different. May they see like a lighthouse that there's something to be seen at the church, something to be received with our new activity because of our established identity. We love you, Jesus. And we take communion now in your name with thanksgiving, examining ourselves, proclaiming your death until you come. Lord, a very simple message, but also very profound. Bless us now as we come to the table and celebrate you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.